impressed with us. <laughs> we just totally improv that, if you couldn't tell. We are in sync all the time. On the podcast, that took a turn. Boop, boop. Are you feeling patriotic today? Not at all. Never am I ever feeling patriotic. But for this podcast, I will be. Because today we're talking about presidents. Presidentitos. Is that that a wedding music? No, I think that was right. For something. An creation. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But we're talking about presidents today, which I think is going to be really interesting because... I know that what I have to say is something very not serious at all. And I'm very excited to, to hear what you have to say, too. I mean, we've lived through a number of memorable presidential elections. Yeah, I suppose. The, in the 2016 presidential election, I remember after the election results came out, I was in the bathroom and this girl was just up in arms about how terrible it was, just so distraught about it. And... I asked her, I was like, well, did you vote? And she went, of course not. Why would that have mattered? (laughs) Especially because, so I went to school in Wisconsin, and in that election specifically, Wisconsin was one of the biggest swing swing states. And I think it was a margin of like a thousand to two thousand votes that would have made the difference. Girl. Mm -hmm. Which would have swung the presidency. Yeah. So, for those of you who don't think voting is important... Might, might want to give it a shot someday. Just take a gander. Yeah. yeah. First time for everything. So. Exactly. You get a sticker. That's kind of fun. Exactly. It's your civic duty, as they say. As they say. Hmm. But you know, the most common write-in on the presidential election, who do you think it is? Is this like year to year it's consistent? Or for this last election, who was it? Uh, On average, year to year consistency. Donald Duck. So close, Mickey Mouse. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. He tends to get at least 5% of the vote. So. What happens if he an actually An inanimate character wins? Yeah. I don't know what happens. Oh then. my god. I mean, who knows? Walt Disney's head just explodes in that container wherever it's kept. Maybe Mickey Mouse is real and waiting for the day that he wins president. Ugh. That's what he was born to do. But maybe he's, like, some mass dictator and everyone has to eat cheese only. Ugh. I mean, I could eat some cheese. Yeah? Yeah. Well. In fact, let me tell you a little story. Okay, Hannah, why don't you go first then? Love to hear it. Alright, so, picture yourself, 1836... Ah, feels like yesterday. Do your best to imagine. (laughs) Um, It is New Year's Day, 1836. I've just ironed my petticoat. (laughs) (laughs) A gift was delivered to the White House with the inscription, To Andrew Jackson, the President of the United States. Did it have a from? Uh... Not on, not from what I saw. (laughs) But we do know who it's from. Mm. Um, so... President Andrew Jackson on this day was gifted a wheel of cheese that took milk from 150 cows to make. What? And it weighed 1,400 pounds. <gasps> do you happen to know the diameter of this wheel of cheese? I do. Oh my goodness. Four feet in diameter, two feet thick. That's not as much. It's not as big as I thought it was either. Yeah. However, 
1,400 pounds. Yeah. That's a lot of dairy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. My sources for this is mostly from thoughtco.com. The title of this article is Andrew Jackson's Big Block of Cheese. So this blo- this wheel of cheese had traveled roughly 400 miles. That's more than I've ever traveled. <laughs> from Sandy Creek, New York to Washington, D.C. by schooner, which is like Are you a sure ship. it wasn't scooter? Schooner. I swear. So a schooner, I had to look it up, but it's a big sailboat type yes. ship. Okay, I had no idea. I, I get the general gist. I mean, I couldn't draw yeah. one for you, but I couldn't draw many things for yeah. you. So. so this a big old block of cheese was taken 400 miles on the river. I think it was the Pot- Potomac? Potomac River. The yep. Potomac River. Mm-hmm. I think that was the one. Um, from... Like I said, Sandy Creek. The maker of this cheese was none other than Thomas Mechem? Mechem? Oh, yes. Thomas. Thomas. He, funny enough, was not a political ally of Jackson at all. He was actually um, a supporter of his opponent. Then why is he making him a 1,400-pound block of cheese? Right. Like, why the fuck would you do that? What kind of cheese is it? Is it, oh, is it, oh, is it Swiss cheese? I, oh, it's blue cheese, isn't it? I hate blue cheese. <laughs> I, I was looking for what kind of cheese it was, but in my mind, it's cheddar. That's true. That does feel yeah. appropriate. In my mind, it's cheddar. Or maybe it's Swiss, and it's like one of those picture things where you put your head in the hole, and then you take a picture, and that's what he was supposed to do with the cheese block. Oh my god, dude. But the entire reason why Th- this Thomas character um, wanted to send him this block of cheese was he wanted to give a gift on behalf of the up-and-coming Empire City... Q Alicia Keys in Empire. New York. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he wanted to exemplify the pride of the thriving arc. Uh, wow. What word did I write? Architecture. Art. No. Archery. Arc. Arc. Agricultural. Oh. <laughs> The thriving agricultural and, you know, dairy industry that was there at the time. I do have a soft spot for the dairy industry. Of course, as do I, because of your fam. Yes, my father works for a dairy company, Mm -hmm. but I like to tell children that I work with that he's an ice cream man. Because he does make ice cream, in one sense of the word. (laughs) They love that. Yeah. This Thomas guy ended up making five other wheels of cheese... They were about half the size of the presidential cheese. Ooh! Some of these cheeses were transported with parades and celebrations. He Wait, wanted like the whole way. Yeah, like the whole like not not for this presidential cheese. Okay, but for the cheeses that maybe didn't need to be transported by river. Um, so a shorter distance. Shorter distance. Mm-hmm. He sent these five other. Uh, wheels of cheese to prominent New York politicians, as well as the vice president at the time, who was Martin Van Buren. These wheels of cheese were transported with parades and, like, a whole bunch of clout around them because Thomas wanted to make a real show. Um, I don't blame him. It's impressive. So after um, Andrew Jackson received the cheese, he actually sent, like, a thank you note and was like, thank you so much. I love this cheese. 
Whatever. Ah, if only we knew what kind it was. I know, I know. However, the four-foot diameter, two feet thick wheel of cheese was stored in the White House for a year. So it wasn't eaten at all for an entire year. Um, well, you have to conserve. That's not you that ha- much. You have to... It's not that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1837, a year later, after Jackson had spent eight years of controversial controversial presidency, he decided to end his... I was going to say reign. It's kind not of. Not a reign, but... Administration? Yes. Sure. Yes. <laughs> that is what we call it. Um, but he decided to end his administration with a big blowout party on the anniversary of George Washington's birthday, featuring the big old wheel of cheese. How is that featured? Is it, like, the main buffet? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. So, printed in the newspaper was an announcement of the party and that the famous cheese was going to be there. Everybody knew about this cheese. The cheese was going to be eaten. It was going to be this big ceremony. It was an open house to anybody. Was it all over page six? Every celebrity we've ever known is going to be there? Everyone. Actually, 10,000 people, roughly, showed up. Ooh, to how celebrate. many of those do you think were actually lactose intolerant? Oh, fuck, dude. That's rough. Only time will not tell. What we do know is the cheese was a big hit among the 10,000, but there were some reports that say that the cheese had a shockingly strong odor. Mm. Unsurprising! 1836 to 1837, you're storing cheese? Like, it's gonna smell. That's true. I mean, our wine smells right now. It's gonna smell! So no wonder year-old cheese. Wait, do you think... Maybe this is a stupid question, but did they have refrigeration technology? I don't technology? think they did. Like, cellars, even? I feel like they didn't. When was... I'm just when was the refrigerator invented? And I wonder, too... 1913. Oof. That's a little later. Yeah. Because they definitely did have cellars and things. Yeah. But would they have even known to keep the cheese right in the cellar? Wait. Refrigeration was invented in 1834. So maybe that's why Thomas is sending cheese all over the fucking place. Because he's like, oh, you got a block of cheese. We can keep it for a whole year, if not longer. To quote uh, a New Hampshire newspaper called the Portsmouth Journal of Politics and Literature. Oh, I love that publication. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Quote, there arose an exceedingly strong smell. So strong as to overpower a number of dandies and lackadaisical ladies. Oh, God. Yeah. So overpowering, my womanhood could not take it. I had to faint. (laughs) Had to faint. But overall, the cheese was a big hit, even though it was pretty stinky. According to ThoughtCo.com, there was a postscript to the story. So two weeks after Jackson had this party, he left office. The new occupant of the White House was Martin Van Buren. He then immediately banned the serving of food at White House parties because crumbs from Jackson's mammoth cheese had fallen into the carpets and been trampled by the crowd. Uh, It says, quote, Van Buren's time in the White House would be plagued by many problems and it got off to a horrible start as the mansion smelled of cheese for months. Wow. And that's another lesson that I've learned. Don't eat cheese on the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) Don't have a cheese party like that. I don't know. Unless you want your 
White House to smell for the next three months. I gotta be honest, though. If I'm the president of the United States and my biggest issue is the fact that my house smells like cheese, I think we're winning. <laughs> like, there's That's no true. war, the economy seems to be That's intact. That's true. Yeah, I'll take cheese crumbs. But what, what, what's also... What, <laughs> what is also hilarious to me, though, is that initially Martin Van Buren was also gifted a wheel of cheese from the same guy when he was vice president, and then he immediately banned, like, any food at any party. I guess that I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Then. Do you think food was banned from White House dinners? Did they just have to pretend? No. Uh, that ha- That can't be true. But are you certain? No, I'm not certain. <laughs> I, I can never be certain. But lessons learned. Here we are at the end of a 1,400-pound wheel of cheese. Yeah. Calling Chuck E. Cheese. Boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 boop. We got a cheese problem. So my boyfriend goes to a gym that whenever I check his location, it says that he's at Chuck E. Cheese, <gasps> but it's actually the gym he goes to. And for a while we were long distance. And so I would check his location to see if, if I could call him at night when I was done with work and stuff. And it always said he was at Chuck E. Cheese. And I was like, this bitch getting all the tokens <laughs> without me. And he's just saying, oh, I went for a run. Me, me, me. It's like, no, you didn't. You I were know. at Chuck E. Cheese. You're playing skee-ball with your girlfriend, aren't you? Uh, well, as long as he's winning tickets. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turns out there really is a Chuck E. Cheese next to his gym. So didn't have to worry too hard. I wonder what the rules are for adults going to Chuck E. Cheese without children. I, I bet you're not allowed without a kid. That's a good question, though. There has to be some sort of protections. I want to hear from any of our listeners if you either have Chuck E. Cheese stories or if you work at Chuck E. Cheese. I really want to know, like, the weirdest things that happen at, at Chuck, Chuck E. Cheese. Cheese. Oh, there's got to be some horror stories. Yeah. Alert. Alert. (laughs) The alert I have for you is if you have something you want people to listen to, let us know. A creative pursuit. Small business. We got you. This airspace could be yours for the price of zero dollars. Zero dollars. Email us at thattookaturnpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to include some info, what you'd like us to say, and we'll read it on the air. You support us, we want to support you. So I guess back to the episode? Bye! Adios! Speaking of horror stories, that brings us into my research for this week on our topic of presidents. Horror stories? I'm in. Let's go. Pretty much. Let me just get to my source notes. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay. So this week my sources are... An excerpt from the NPR podcast, All Things Considered, by Selena Simmons-Duffin, and it's titled, Why President? How the U.S. President Named Its Leader. Also, The Daily Podcast. I think I said podcast. (laughs) You did. (laughs) The Daily Podcast (laughs) by the New York Times, and it's the episode called, The Cost of Haiti's Freedom, with Michael Barbaro. Barbaro? Yeah. He says it so much better on the podcast, and it's just, uh, his voice. I could... Is would, it, does he have an accent or is it just no, like low he's and just, tonal? Something about Mar- Michael Barbaro, Barbaro, and the way he delivers the news. It just it it doesn't turn me on, <laughs> but it does get me going. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a very good reporter and knows how to turn very complex situations into concise sound bites. 
I feel like that's such a hard thing to do, but so important, especially in this day and age. And then last two sources were a book called Secret History or the Horrors of St. Domingo and Laura by Leonora Sanse. And finally, a few articles about the Haitian Revolution on Britannica.com. Ooh, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm ready. I I'm so glad you're ready. Yes. So, when the founding fathers of this, uh, of the U.S. were writing the Constitution in the 1780s, they had no idea what to call their executive officer. Mm -hmm. King? Absolutely not. Right. Did that. Getting away from that. Right. Been there, done that. Ran from that. Ran from that. (laughs) They wanted something that sounded impressive, but not all powerful and, like, crushing your soul. Mm. Soul crushing. Mm -hmm. This actually caused the very first congressional deadlock that our country has seen. Meanwhile, while the rest of the newly colonized Americas were grappling with the aftershock of our favorite voyager, Christopher Columbus, who sailed the ocean blue in 1492. (laughs) Love that guy. Do you now? I do. (laughs) So he gets off his big ship and then immediately starts bossing all these people around, forcing them to mine for gold. He's like, I am Chris! (laughs) I still remember learning about this just-turned-40-going-through-a-midlife-crisis Chris being the poster child (laughs) for adventure when attending public school. Of course. Of course. I think it's about damn time we change that narrative. Yes. Christopher Columbus brought a large amount of slaves with him to the French colony of St. Dominique St. Domingo, or current day Haiti, current day Dominican Republic. Before you know it, by the end of the 16th century, the native people had virtually vanished. <sighs> by 1789, 90% of people are enslaved. <sighs> Around 6% are colonists. And then the other 4% are the freed slaves, or affranchis. That just makes me think like there's power in numbers i don't know i don't know i don't know and this is during the time or about the time of the french revolution right yep so it's right on the eve of the french revolution on the eve the eve because it's 1789 and i believe that was 1790 to 1791 Mm. roughly basically it's an island of slaves and there's a few people running the shots but not many there came a point where there was a bit of a crack in the french power Mm -hmm. they purchased out Louisiana, and then Napoleon put on his high heels and (laughs) clip-clop-flopped across the Atlantic. You remember that? Yeah, I do. Perfect. And so then came along former military leader and former slave, Toussaint Louverture, it's a French name, if you couldn't tell, (laughs) who he's most commonly credited for freeing Haiti, because in 1801, he had himself named Governor General for life. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. For life. That's bold. He was just trying to play nice with the colonists to gain more power for himself, is what it seems like. Politicians. Exactly. Politicians. Can't get enough of them. (laughs) No, we can. We've all had enough of them. We have had too much. We've had too much of them. Eventually, he was killed by his colonist BFFs (laughs) France and Spain. Oh my god. And... Didn't mean to laugh at your death. Sorry, guys. No, it's pretty funny, because his plan was foiled. Yeah. For sure. You did it to yourself. France had been reported to be reestablishing slavery in nearby colonies of Guadalupe and Martinique. I just realized I spelled slavery, spavery, so I'm a little confused. I was like, what's slavery? (laughs) 
Jean Jacques Dessalines and Henri Christophe, his lieutenants. Very I'm good. saying that in a French accent, but who knows? Very good. <laughs> they took over and said, hell no, we do want independence for Haiti, and it's not going to look like the way Toussaint wanted it to look. Okay. So, this is a big deal because there are records of many slave revolts or uprisings and fights for independence, but the only one that has ever been successful in actually gaining that independence was Haiti and wow. was this revolt. Wow. January 1st, 1804, the entire island was declared independent under the Arawak-derived name of Haiti. While Haiti was busy completing the first ever successful slave revolt turned independent state, amazing. We are now back to the U.S. Senate, who was busy having a great time brainstorming what to call their new leader, <laughs> and they're coming up with titles such as Elective Majesty, Ooh. Sacred Majesty, Ooh. Elective Highness, Ooh. Illustrious Highness, <laughs> Serene Highness. <laughs> Or a personal favorite of mine. His Highness President of the United States and Proctor of their Liberties. Oh my god, that should have been it. I mean, it was a close second. <laughs> However, the House looked at the Senate and said, what the fuck do you think you're doing? Yeah. They didn't want something so fabulous. And thus, the title of President took the stage for debate. And the first congressional deadlock began. Of course, these are the important things we should be focused on. That's what matters. Correct. So even though President seemed too plain a title to the Senate, the House proved it was perfect, and soon President... Aw, big stretch from our pot dog Tony over there. Hi, buddy. Buddy. And soon President became the official term referring to George and every other American head of state to follow, officially ending the first ever instance of congressional deadlock. How long did it last, do you know? Three weeks. Okay. Which is a long time. Yeah. When you think about what they're actually talking about. Right. Like, bro. Right. There's Just so pick many a name. things. Yeah. But this then blazed the trail for other newly emerging republics and became a common model for them to follow, including the Republic of Haiti, who declared their own president, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, in 1807. It wasn't all peaches and dandy... Whatever that phrase is. (laughs) It wasn't all good. They were very much on their own. No one wanted to do business with them. No one wanted to trade with them because it was a slave-run independent state, Mm -hmm. which I think is fucking badass. Right. But at the time, was a huge threat to people who still believed slavery was a good idea and then it just got worse in 1825. Okay, 1807 to 1825. Boom. It's like 18 years, I think. In 1825, the French come back. Uh, and they're hot on the trail for revenge. No! When a battalion of warships... This is a quote, by the way, from The Daily. Great. A battalion of warships show up with a proclamation from the new king of France. They say to Haiti, you have two choices. Either you pay us reparations for what we've lost... Oh. Or we declare war. <laughs> so imagine, you're this teeny tiny country with very few resources, and... The- France is saying... The the country that invaded you and colonized you and tormented you is saying, pay us 
reparations for what we lost. Right. Come the fuck on. So what could those reparations possibly be, right? Yeah. Well, according to France, they were entitled to their loss of property in the form of slaves and slave labor. Mm, a shame. What a shame. Well, that is just so fucked up. <laughs> but the French said that they wanted 150 million francs to be paid back over the next five years for all of the terrible damage that the Haitians had done to the French people. <laughs> Do we know how much that is? Why, yes, we do. Uh, That would be the equivalent today of demanding Haiti to pay back (gasps) $44,890,303.03 over five years in today's money. Ooh. Now, Hannah, do you think you could pay that back? Mm, Yeah, totally. Great. My student loans are about that much. Yeah, as most are these days. (laughs) So, we get it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a lie. We really don't get it. We are not at all in that boat. That's ridiculous. And completely ridiculous. But that was the point. They demanded that Haiti finance their loan re- repayment through French banks as well. Of course. Of course. So, even though it doesn't make sense why they're having to pay reparations for things that they didn't do, right? they're pretty much forced to agree and take out a series of terrible loans from a group of young Parisian banks mm. just to be able to cover the first payment. Ugh. Thus, creating what is now known as the double debt. Oh. People still wonder why Haiti took this deal, but in my mind, I'm like, someone has a gun to your head and they yeah. say, pay me back over five years or I kill you now. Right, I was gonna say, what is, like... I mean, what is the consequence of saying no, but also you're not in a position of power to say no. Exactly. Like, one way or another, France is going to get yeah, And it's immediate or a slow, slow death. Yeah. Because they they truly wring out all of their coffers and go broke just trying to make the first payment. My God. And the fact that they were able to make the first payment with that money, I think is also quite impressive. Yeah. Because it's not like they came with any capital. Yeah. They just got the colonists out. That doesn't mean the colonists left any valuables with them. Yeah, they were brand new, restarting. Now, they're in debt to French banks for all of the late fees and payments that it took just to make the first installment of payments. (sighs) It had only been, what do we say, 17, 18 years? Yeah, 18. 18. uh, Yeah. One of the two. You do the math. Yeah. The Haitians tried really hard to make that first payment and in so went broke. Some of the things they tried were putting in tax on stamps. They tried personal income taxes. Um, But the way that they ultimately decided to tackle the debt was to tax the heck out of their most profitable and important um, export, which is coffee. Mm. And all of the money that Haiti would be making from those coffee exports, the bulk of those taxes would just go straight over to France. Mm. What we have to remember here is that Haiti is getting zero in return for their investment. The money that they're repaying, quote-unquote, was never used to support the country. Rather, it's just a huge tax to their independence. Yeah, It's like yeah. A, a bully that takes your lunch money without, yeah. with interest just because you decided to step foot in the cafeteria. Mm. They're going to offer you no protection, no benefits. They're just allowing you to be in the same room as them. Damn. And that's kind of the case that Haiti encountered. (sighs) France, chill. Yeah. 
But Haiti does eventually finish paying off the double debt. Whoa. Yeah, in 1888, which is an incredible feat, if you ask me. However, that's only possible because they take out more disastrous foreign loans to be able to do it, which Mm -hmm. they had to. Yeah. It took until 1888 for them to pay off the debt by using other debts, and then 1950. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Before those debts were paid off according to researchers and economists at the New York Times. In the end, Haiti had paid, in total, $560 million. But that doesn't even begin to compare with the amount that would be wor- that the money would have been worth had it stayed in Haiti instead of being directed to France or other countries. Had it stayed in the Haitian economy, uh-huh. it could have been anywhere from $21 billion to $115 billion. What? Yeah, which would have grown the Haitian economy between one and eight times the size that it is today. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's fascinating. Because I, growing up, I remember just the general rhetoric surrounding Haiti was like, oh, it's a very poor country. It's very, you know, like... Corrupt. And corrupt. Uh, dangerous. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's fascinating because I have to believe that if it were not for France, they would be much more flourishing and a bigger world player. Absolutely. Haiti is still working on getting those very, very basic things like wow. running water and electricity and like things that we take for granted so easily. With that... The money had to go somewhere. We know it went to France. And the bulk of that money went to the descendants of former French colonists or slaveholders of France, some of whom are still fabulously rich families, whether that's merchant families, the aristocracy... Aristocracy. Aristocracy. (laughs) And in fact, this is a quote from research done by the New York Times. Most of the worth calculated of... Saint-Dominique, which was the old colony name, was in slave labor. That land was only producing anything because of slaves, and they literally calculated the worth of the land based per head of slaves. Just the existence of enslaved people. Correct. And anything that came out of Haiti was produced because of those slaves. All that is meant to just say that this debt to pay is bullshit. Yeah. Well... Yeah, and that money could have transformed the outcome of Haiti's success and independence, but instead was circulated in France with some evidence of complaints at the time, this is a quote, that the money didn't amount to much because generation after generation, it was divvied up between grandchildren and great-grandchildren, more and more of them. But many of these families already had made so much money on the slave trade, there was just like small dividends long after entering their bank accounts. Damn. While you were reading that, my eyes, like, could not roll back farther in my head. Well, good. I... uh, It's depressing. uh, I know. Yeah. Paris, around the world, became known for international banking because of what they made the Haitians do. And France has forever enjoyed the tagline of liberty, of fraternity, and of equality, while Haiti has been cast in the shadow of corruption, poverty, and despair. Mm -mm. When in reality... Haiti is the first place in the Americas that threw off slavery and declared black people, any people that were there at the time, free. 
with that, I say, it doesn't matter what you call your dear leader, whether you choose your illuminated highness or your, I don't remember some of the other names they use, his highness president of the United States and protector of their liberties. It really doesn't matter. What matters is what you do with your power. Yeah, that makes me think of um, a quote from the Hulu show The Great, based on Catherine the Great. Oh, cool. But there's a quote about war, and um, it goes, some men, but some people see war as a terrible loss of human life, and others see war as merely a chess game. Mm. And I feel like on the broader scale... France is just playing a chess game. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Given that our topic this week was presidents, I just, I couldn't get myself to focus on a traditional president because people don't always write about the amazing presidents that are also in places like Haiti and yeah. places like, well, I only really talked about Haiti, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Jean-Jacques Dessalines and Henri Christophe the two that started the revolution for true independence, those are the people that should be celebrated. Right. Right. And that's beautiful how resilient the Haitian people are. Right. And I I want to uplift those stories and voices and the fact that there are people out there that did conquer the impossible, which was colonization. Yeah, that is inspiring. Yeah. And it's not that they weren't capable of making it as an independent country. It's that colonization came back in an economic form. Right. So. Suppression on suppression. Suppression? Oppression? Suppression? Suppression on suppression. That's right, Hannah. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's what I have for you today, Hannah. That's amazing. That was a wonderful story. Thank you. Well, with that, I think it's time to sign off. I think so, too. I hope you enjoyed listening. Hell yeah. Thanks, all. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Glad to Return. The podcast. Written, produced, and everything by us. Kate Geary. And Hannah Domish. It's pretty DIY. If you're digging the pod, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Glad to Return. Wherever you're listening to this podcast. I mean, if you made it to this point, you at least were, like, bored enough. I know. Either way, you can also check us out on Instagram and on TikTok at That Took a Turn Podcast. Special thanks to Garrett Burns and special thanks to our listeners for listening. Our theme song is by Music Unlimited. Don't forget, our handsome prince, Tony the Dog. This has been 